Good evening, Newark family, and welcome back once again to our Friday Night with Friends. It is August 21st, 2020, and we are so excited to be back once again, and we are live tonight. Hopefully, you are tuning in, and Meg can go ahead and turn her camera on and come and join me. And this evening, look at this. You're seeing double. We have a special guest. Both of them can take themselves off of mute. I see they're still on mute. I'm going to get out of the way. Let your eyes adjust to what's actually before you. And we're going to let Meg introduce this extra special guest. Thank you. Hi, good evening, everybody. Thanks for joining us tonight. My sister has a joke, but I'm going to steal it or a funny comment. She mentioned earlier, I'm going to tell everybody not to think that they need to get their eyes checked or, or you're having a stroke or something. You're not seeing double, no blurry uh, double vision here, just my sister and I. Our church family, Newark UPC, knows um, I'm an identical twin, and uh, I think we look especially 20 tonight. So good thing we're wearing different colors. Um, but uh, this is a special couple weeks for me, having my mom and introducing my mom uh, last week for Friday night with family, as it is, uh, it's been for me the past two Fridays and my sister Anne here tonight. Um, it just so happened with our scheduling that this is how it worked out. So lucky me. And uh, I get to introduce one of my other best friends here tonight, um, Anne. And uh, my sister, as uh, a lot of our church family knows, um, has a wonderful husband and two young girls uh, that are around the ages of my children as well. And we've just had a lot of fun experiencing um, raising young children together. We also mope and cry a lot on the phone, have a lot of pity parties, feel sorry for one another, uh, but also celebrate a lot too. It's good to have somebody go through stages of life with you. You can yeah. really empathize. Um, but I wanted to bring uh, my sister on tonight uh, specifically. Um, she is trained and has a uh, degree in occupational therapy assistant and she's going to tell you a little bit how she got to that uh, part of her journey how god led her to this occupation um, this week in fact in our uh, lessons our theme was finding the will of god and um, not necessarily that she needs to speak on that tonight uh, but i know that she really uh, views the blessing of becoming an occupational therapy assistant or an OTA um, as something that God had uh, created her to do. And that's always, uh, so we talked about it earlier this week, so peaceful, you have a peace when you know you're doing something that God has led you to. And so I'm gonna let her talk about that. And our Newark UPC family knows our church uh, mission statement is all making disciples of all. Um, Anne's focus is in pediatrics, in occupational therapy, and specifically in education in the school system. And her training has led to um, uh, transfer her knowledge from the school system in working with children um, with special needs and their families into how we can better do that and welcome families into the church. Um, because we're all, our mission is to be all making disciples of all. And so um, I'm not going to say too much more because I'd like her to take us uh, into uh, what she has for us tonight. But um, I'm excited. I'm proud of her and um, uh, the uh, help that she's been 
to not only her church, but other churches um, to be able to better understand how to welcome everybody into church and make church somewhere that everybody can be in. So with that, I'm going to, I'm going to toss it over to Anne and let her take over. Uh, and um, yeah, that's it. Okay, thank you for the nice introduction. Thank you for having me tonight to speak on something I love. <laughs> I always get emotional when I talk about things that I love. Um, and so <clears throat> Meg's right when she says that um, I had prayed about finding something with purpose and something that I love to do. And the saying goes that when you do what uh, when you do what you love, you love what you do. So to me, getting my uh, OTA, I'll say it that way, it's occupational therapy assistant certification and degree, um, that really gave me just such a purpose. And I don't feel like I work when um, I was working uh, for six years in the field. So right now I am at home with my two girls and we are starting our first year of homeschooling. And so I have a little bit of a different focus, but um, as I talk, you'll see that I, what I learned in my um, studies is easily transferred over to home life with children. And so um, that timing couldn't have been more perfect for me. So this is exciting to be able to talk about occupational therapy. And um, so let's just dig in as to how uh, this training and my experiences have helped the church with somewhat of a newer mission. I think it's always been there to include everybody and all and all families in our church bodies. But how can we be the most supportive and welcoming to families that have um, different abilities. So you'll hear me, hear me just use some terms that um, are more kind of warm and, and PC. I don't really talk about disabilities. I talk about different abilities and um, our, we wanna be church that accepts all abilities. So, um, so what happened was, I'm going to talk about my experience and my training um, and how I got there. I, my background is that I have a Bachelor's of Science in um, Environmental Health and Public Health from Colorado State University, and I love my years there. But with such a broad degree like that, when I got out of college, I just wanted to gain work experience. And so I worked in safety departments, um, one here at our uh, General Mitchell Airport in Milwaukee. Um, I worked in health administration in the Medical College of Wisconsin Children's Hospital. And it was desk work, it was um, paperwork. And so five, six years have passed and I told myself when I graduated college that I would reassess in five years about how things were going. And with reassess, I mean, take a look at, are you being fulfilled in um, your work? And what I was giving my most of my life to, which is work in church, um, and to just look that over. And in college, I remember praying about my education. I remember praying about passing tests. I remember praying about direction. 
So I took this back to God because I wasn't really satisfied working at a desk. Um, I didn't have a lot of people interaction. And so at this point, I'm now engaged and I would call, I remember calling Mike on the way home, my husband, and I'd start just talking the minute I got out of work, I would call my mom, Mike or Meg. I just had to engage with someone. I had to talk with people. Not that I didn't at work, but it wasn't an environment. You, you worked autonomously at your desk and you know you got your work done for the day and everybody waved by and, and went home. So I just remember being like, oh, I just wanna work with people. And I love the, the science field. And so I thought about, well, maybe nursing. Um, but there's some stuff I can't stomach. Uh, some of the smells and sights of nursing, I just can't handle. So I knew nursing wasn't necessarily for me. And I started seeking out some fields, started praying about it. And um, in talking with Meg, she had a friend who worked in occupational therapy and became an assistant, which is a, an associate's degree. Um, she started talking to me about what her friend would do. Her friend would go to nursing homes and uh, go work in the rehabilitation centers where uh, residents and patients would get the physical exercise, the physical engagement, strengthening to get back to doing what they wanted to do. And um, so I thought, well, that kind of sounds good. You're working with people it's not messy nurse work necessarily. Um, and I liked the idea of rehabilitation, starting at a point with someone and building them up to be greater than where they were. Um, and so I prayed for that open door. I remember telling Mike, we were planning our wedding. Uh, money was going toward the wedding. We were saving and I was working in my current job. And I said, I think I want to go back to school. And, you know, Mike's like, ah, what, you know, well, let's pray for an open door there, there, you know, finances have to be okay. We're just planning, we're planning on getting married. We're going through this big change and the doors open, were wide open. Um, I got a spot right away at MATC, which is Milwaukee area technical college. They offered an occupational therapy assistant program. And it's, it's uh, really well known in this area, really uh, spoken well of. So, I got in, accomplished that. I loved it, every minute of it. And I'm gonna tell you what occupational therapy is. The motto is uh, of the Occupational Therapy Association is living life to its fullest. That's helping people across the lifespan to do things, to do their jobs, their daily, your daily occupation, your chores, uh, your, you know, employed job, child care, you know, taking care of your children, um, you know, reading, writing, working on computers. So to rehabilitate people who have been injured, uh, maybe have a, a, a health diagnosis like cancer, and you have to find a new normal. How can you adapt to your new normal? How can you make accommodations to your living environment to live a good quality of life. That's the focus of occupational therapy. Um, if you have a disability or different ability, how can you live in this life around typical people? 
And so occupational therapy promotes health from more of a holistic point of view. Um, we do not diagnose, we do not prescribe medication. That's all done through what would be your doctors and things. Um, so as an occupational therapy assistant, how does that differ from an occupational therapist? Well, in your salary, it's about $55,000. But it's also different because occupational therapists go through a master's level program and now are actually being encouraged to receive their doctorate, um, similar to physical therapists. An occupational therapy assistant is much like a doctor nurse relationship where an assistant does the, the treatment plan and goes along with the plan that the doctor, and, and in my case, the occupational therapist has set in place. The occupational therapist deals with all things legal and uh, paperwork. So the occupational therapy assistant, what I do is I read treatment plans and goals and I help the patient or the resident or the student meet those goals. And then we report it back to the occupational therapist who assesses and evaluates um, accomplishing those goals. And there you have it. Um, you know, you're, you're the one who's engaging as an assistant with the individual every single day. And so it, it's really, really fun, fulfilling, and especially working with children. Um, it just didn't ever feel like work. So in my uh, clinical field, I worked in uh, mental health. So I went to a mental health uh, inpatient facility and I also went to the schools. And um, when I did that, my professor said, we've never had anybody do their clinicals in those two fields. They always go to rehab because rehab is where, and hospitals is where the job demand is 99% hiring rate. You will get a job in a hospital or a rehab center. Mental health facilities aren't always well-funded schools don't always have the openings. Occupational therapists and assistants stay in their jobs for 40 years in the schools because it's fun. And, I, and now I see why. So um, I went in those two fields and I found a job, you know, God opened the door, found a job in the state of Illinois. So I worked across the border and um, worked with two of the best OTs I know. So what do you do in the schools as an occupational therapy assistant? Um, what we do is you, we support students so that they are successful in their job as a student. OTs and OTAs, we always look at what you do daily and what you do for um, you know, enjoyment. The things that you do on a daily basis is your job. And so a student's job is to learn. So an occupational therapy assistant, um, I, I would get a caseload of students that had all different diagnosis and um, uh, you know, disability. And so my caseload would look like working with students with Down syndrome, autism, ADHD, uh, physical disabilities like cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, uh, verbal and nonverbal students, students with sensory processing disorder, which is different from autism, um, and developmental delays. And so um, the, the span and the vast 
um, exposure I got with students that had uh, some differences really opened my eyes on how to work with students um, individually to meet them where they are. So there wasn't a treatment plan written, and there isn't one by an occupational therapist that is a cookie cutter response to what a child needs. We meet them where they are at, and as the year progresses, they uh, meet certain treatment goals, objectives, and milestones. And then uh, we have meetings with parents so that they can see progress and express anything that they would like to see. Um, or they also get some support and recommendations from the school system. So some skills that I worked on with the students specifically would be things like handwriting, uh, visual, their visual skills, so visual tracking of looking from a point A to point B, um, that assists with reading and writing. Your eyes have to be able to move with your hands and across from left to right to read and write. Uh, their motor skills, we'd work on gross and fine motor. This was the fun part. Now, some students really didn't like going to speech because it's hard and you sit and you stare at the therapist and you try to form these sounds and it's boring. But an occupational therapist, when we're working on strengthening fine motor skills or skills with the hands, we'd play with putty, we'd play with beads, we'd do projects, um, we would do things. Gross motor is, is your whole body. I use scooter boards. I'd be running down the hallways with the students, <laughs> pulling them by hula hoops, We'd get out balls, we'd get out um, bean bags and play bean bag toss. These are all ways of developing motor skills. I also helped um, make adaptations and recommendations for classroom environments. So students with ADHD, they're highly distractible. So what could we do in the classroom to help the student attend better and have better focus. So we talk with teachers. And so we do a lot of teacher training um, and staff education. And then things like sensory integration and self-regulation skills for students with autism or sensory disorders. Um, so the, I mean, it's a vast amount of um, different skills, techniques, and things that I would work on with students. And we really had a lot of fun. The students loved coming to OT. Always. I never heard a complaint ever. Um, and so that always made it really rewarding and fulfilling. Hold on. So, yeah. Just in case we have uh, some young people or even older people who might be looking for some direction or career change um, or, you know, interest, you know, hearing things uh, for our young people that might pique their interests earlier on in life and things they can research out and pray about. Did you mention what the difference between occupational therapy and physical therapy is in general? Oh, um, in general, physical therapy is, is uh, typically it's working with the legs and lower limbs. Now you're seeing a, a cross of um, a, approaches in physical therapy. Physical therapists can work on shoulder, and head, but it is more of a medical model. Um, physical therapists do work in schools, but they are working on things like coordination. Um, students with physical disabilities, maybe they're wheelchair bound, a physical therapist will 
make sure that their wheelchair is fit to their size. That um, So if that makes sense, I, I don't have like the definition with me, but occupational therapy will focus on your daily jobs. What do you have to do in this day to be successful? A physical therapist is working with orthopedics. They're working with the body movement, strengthening, that type of thing. So if that helps, you know, that that's more the difference. Yeah. Just because I think occupational therapy isn't as um, familiar like yeah. with that as physical therapy. That's why um, I just thought we would uh, define those two for now. Cause you're talking about how you were working with the kids and I thought, Oh, how, you know, how is that different from other therapies? Okay. Yeah. Physical therapists and occupational therapists in, in all fields, mainly, um, if you're at a hospital, a nursing home rehab center, um, a school, we, we work hand in hand. So, um, they're, they're very helpful. You know, they work, they, they work more with lower body walking, that type of thing, coordination. And, but we all, we work together in the schools very closely. Um, so yeah, more there if you want more specifics. And so right now the movement in, in schools nationwide, worldwide, uh, which matches the movement in our church organization through the UPCI is that we want children of different abilities to be integrated and it's called inclusion, to be included in everything that everyone else is doing. So um, even when I grew up in school, we had a special education department and the special education students stayed in a classroom with the same teachers and they were segregated from the general ed class, general education class. We'd meet up, I'd see some of my peers in gym class and art, that's typically where we would see our special education students um, with us. Now the movement is inclusion. How, what percentage of the day can students with disabilities or different abilities be included in the classroom and also be deemed uh, successful for them? There are some times that a student is better one-on-one -on -one or a smaller classroom in a special education class. And that student would go specifically and work with a special education teacher who has, is specialized and trained um, to meet their needs at their learning, their academic learning level. But for the most part, we know that children learn from each other, learn from their peers and learn to accept one another and empathize being with each other and around each other. So that's the movement in our public school system. It's the movement in the church right now, which is where the church, um, uh, now, the, now me helping in the area of the church comes up. So um, I, we do, I wanna mention that we do have a special needs ministry called ABLE. It's an acronym, A-B-L-E. ABLE Ministries, it stands for Accepting, Believing, Loving, Embracing. And this is the Special Needs Ministry Department within the UPCI. And your, your East Coast one and only uh, Denise Wynn oh, yeah. is the head of the department. And so um, I reached out to her when the need, did you want to say something, Mike? Oh, no, I was going to say her name if you weren't going to mention it. Uh, but yeah, just because, you know, she's one of one of ours in our district, Denise yeah. Wynn, 
many people are familiar with her, uh, but may not have been familiar with Able Ministries, which um, she started, I think. Yeah. For she the started. organization, um, uh, because of her family set up um, and one of her sons being of uh, uh, having autism and um, sharing her wisdom with her walk with him through, you know, being a church uh, going family, but she's a pastor out here with her husband in New Jersey, their um, church in Egg Harbor Township. But yes, okay, but you mentioned her name. Thank you. Yeah, so she began this ministry um, being, uh, you know, being a special needs mom. And so I know she joins with Stephanie Gossard, um, who's also a special needs mother, a son with autism. And they are great resources because what they're doing is um, they are offering to help educate church bodies in the area of um, autism specifically, but also we'll talk about other special needs as well and how our churches can support families and be welcoming um, to families with special needs children or family members. And so what happened um, at my church is we had a family that uh, ended up having a son who was diagnosed at the age of three with autism. And um, when this need came to light, now again, occupational therapists, we don't diagnose or anything like that, but you do have a trained eye. And so I began conference with um, the mother, my friend, and her son just, there was something different. There was something that needed to be met for him. And church was actually the hardest and the most exhausting and the worst day of the week in her words. Um, the environment was overwhelming for her son. Uh, Sunday school wasn't really a place where he could engage. It was, it was um, stressful on him. And so we began a conversation once he was diagnosed and I said, I think we can do something about this. You know, I work with children with autism and let's see, let's see if we can get some help around this. One thing that needed to happen was our Sunday school teachers and um, our church family needed to be educated on what is autism and they needed to be educated on how can we better support this family so that their church experience is one that they can enjoy and that they'll actually come to church. So what I, I joined Amal Ministries on Facebook and you can join um, their group. And um, many of the families and mothers with, with special needs children would say, it's just easier not to come to church. And well, if a church doesn't really know how to support us or if it stresses us out, it's just easier not to come. And that's not God's plan, is that we just can't handle some people. So watch church online. It's not the same. We all know church isn't the same. And a lot of these families, that engagement with others is what they need. Um, and so we, uh, what we did was I worked with Denise Wynn and Stephanie Gossard through um, Able Ministries we got a training put together and we put that training out to the church to where we could educate the teachers on um, what does our what does our little friend need? He's, he's a toddler at the time. What does he need 
so that um, he doesn't run, so that the music doesn't necessarily hurt his ears, so that the lights aren't too bright for him. And so you may have some questions, why does that matter? And, and maybe we can talk about that, but children with autism tend to be overstimulated by environmental stimuli, what's around us. They're five, they're, we actually have seven senses. So their body's taking in all this information and the brain is not able to process the information and, and output it to the light is too bright or that sound is too loud. And what happens is the brain basically goes into fight or flight mode. So if you've ever felt anxious or you know that worry where it's like, ah, I need to run, I need to get out of here, I need to change my, my environment right now, that's what's going on in the brain is it's a fight or flight and um, it's very, very uncomfortable. But what can we do to help a child calm and stay, we, we use the term regulated, so keep the body calm, keep the mind calm. And there are some um, techniques and strategies that we can use um, for the body to calm. And that's what we did was we, um, I made some accommodations to our classrooms. We made sure that uh, teachers knew how to give, you know, pressure into the body to help calm. Um, and so I'm being a little vague here, but you know, it is 6.30, so I don't know if you, if you wanna go ahead with questions or you can keep talking and Desi will let us know when there's a question. Okay. Um, and so what we did was, I just wanted to, I do have here, this is a, a spiritual individual educational. Can you see it? Oh, it's my screen. Your screen. Here, it goes in front of me. Okay. I, I'm not in Colorado, by the way. I'm in Wisconsin. This is our nice background. But this is a... Um, individual education plan. And this is what Denise Wynn had put together for churches to use um, to interview parents about their child's needs, what causes them to be upset, what causes them to, um, you know, what's motivating to them and, and what kind of things calm them. And so we went through this with the family and we were able to understand how we could, you know, keep our, our little toddler friend engaged in the class. And that's our goal. We want the parents to stay engaged in worship service or whatever their responsibilities are at the church. We want them to stay at church and we want their child to also be able to participate, not just be a warm body in the room. And what was happening was if our little, our little toddler friend was feeling overwhelmed or anxious, you'd see him cover his ears. You'd see like a grimace on his face. He's obviously uncomfortable and he'd want to run, which is a typical, um, it can be a typical characteristic of autism is running because it's that fight or flight in the brain saying, escape to a safe place, go, go, go. And children with autism, especially so young, as young as three, um, really don't have safety awareness. So they'll run into streets, they'll run into water, they'll run into uh, any open door. There's no awareness to say, stop, 
there's something, there's danger in my way. They'll run into woods. And where our church is located is in like five acres of a cornfield and off of a really, really busy road. So safety was a major concern of ours uh, to make sure that he was even safe at our, in our building. So we even talked to our ushers and said, if you see a child running, you know, if you see our little friend running, grab him. The parents know you can put hands on them and a safe way to grab a child to stop them from running, bring them back into the classroom is to grab, you know, underneath the, tr the trunk and the arms here and kind of carry up at the bottom. We didn't want pulling and snagging of limbs. We don't want pulling of clothes. Not that people would choose to do that, but we do want to be safe when we're handling children, of course. So we were able to um, talk to the church as a whole about what autism looks like. And um, right now, our little guy is a year older and he has been receiving therapy for a year, one of them being um, outside occupational therapy, uh, speech therapy as well. And he is doing, he is making huge progress that really in our toddler class, he's not the issue. Our toddler class includes two and three-year-olds and those little ones are into more trouble and mischief than our little friend um, who's done so well. He follows directions very well. And so we had put things in place like a visual schedule. Children with autism tend to benefit off of pictures. A lot of verbal speaking, talking um, is too much sensory overload to the ears. And it can be very distracting or alarming or a trigger for a child. So we, we would use pictures or you would use a short um, explanation and you'd say, you know, friend, color this, color that. Not, I would like you to pick up your crayon, color the, the Joseph's, you know, picture and use three colors while you color. That's too much verbal overload, too much verbal input. So we talked to teachers about short directions but that we want him at the table. We want him with his peers. Uh, one question we had is, well, you know, his uh, cognitive level was a couple, actually like a year and a half younger than his actual age. Well, should he still be in the nursery? So with that question being asked, children benefit and do better and are better supported with peers that are their same age. So just because there is a delay doesn't mean that, that they should be treated as such. And so we um, talked about talking to him, you know, talking to our, our uh, little friend with the same words that you talk with to another child in his class. And so we just, um, we've been able to come around the family and um, what you do with these individual uh, education plans, this is based off of the school model, is you review these over the next year or within two years and you see the child's growth and you see what more the um, church in this example, what more the church can do um, to better support the, uh, you know, our little church member in the class. And so because he's doing so well, 
we've seen we've seen some support go away because he's progressing and able to be more independent in our class. And so um, one thing that remains the same is worship service can be overwhelming as far as visually and um, you know the sound with the loud music and uh, lots of movement. You know we're very expressive worshipers. And so the recommendation was that we have a nursery and we have a nursery with a, with a TV. And during worship, our, uh, my friend, it, you know, our little, our little guy's mom, we recommended that she would go into the nursery just for worship, keep him in there with the lights down, start off his morning calm to what speaks to his sensory system and then we'd move him into the class with his friends. So too many transitions, too many change, too much change of environment can also be a trigger. Um, routine is very important with children in general. You know, children like to know what to expect. And so change can be really hard to process. And so that's what um, my friend and, you know, his mom continues to do is typically worship takes place in a quiet room with just him, maybe one other kid that might be in the nursery. Then he can move into church, then he can move into his Sunday school class, so. All right, I, I didn't wanna cut you off. You're actually dancing all around. We've got multiple questions that have come in. I'd say 75% of them, I'm gonna lump them into one high overarching question and, and you can kind of, take a stab at answering this. And as you say this, we've got many people in our congregation listening to you and thinking about it going, okay, I, I hear you. You got a valid point. So what can we, actually I'll break it into two questions. What can we as a church family do to make other families that have children with these different abilities feel welcome in our church? That's the first part. And secondly, specifically say like a Sunday school program, what can a Sunday school program do to help create an environment that's welcoming for these children? So what can we do to reach out to families and in our Sunday school programs, what can we do to make an environment that's helpful for these kind of children? Uh, well, I think the first thing is um, to make all families feel welcome uh, you know, you have to know that um, you have to be made aware that there might be a family looking specifically for a special needs ministry. We've had families at our church uh, with children with different needs as over the years, but no one's really voiced it. And so as much as I uh, helped initiate this special needs ministry, my friend, you know, the mother and her husband um, are just as much the, um, you know, those that begun the ministry with me because they voiced their concerns about church just not being a place that was a good experience for them anymore. And so we, once we know of a need, um, are there people who have any experience or, um, any knowledge or maybe a family member, you know, that they know of that they would say, I, I would be willing to help out in, in this area. If we created an ABLE Ministries, this is what churches are doing all over 
uh, if we created an enable ministry, would we be able to have someone that would be able to respond to parents who are looking, you know? So um, to feel welcome, um, you know, once we were made aware of the, of the problem, or I should say the concern, hi girls, you can go out. Mommy's talking. Um, we also said that we could provide different accommodations. So we let the family know, are you looking for uh, noise canceling headphones? And just saying, we'll do what it takes. So we were able to sit down um, with you know the husband and wife and we were able to go through questions that said, we'll do what it takes and what do you need? And so, that so took a huge- Sounds like out. a lot of it is just communicating with the family yeah asking them what, what would help you making yes. making it clear to the family that we want to try and help meet their needs try not to sneeze on camera excuse me Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> and so the second half of the question so thank you for doing that that and let me get to the second half of the question the second half of the question would be so in addition to having a conversation with a family I know you've talked a lot about autism in particular. It doesn't have to just be autism, but what are the high level kinds of things we can do in our Sunday school classrooms that make them more of a welcoming environment for children facing these uh, different needs? Um, well, really um, any change that you might make for a child that has special needs benefits children as a whole. So things like, um, you know, it's creating an environment to that's not so rigid. So you have children that maybe can't sit and, um, and they're not good at sitting in their chairs. Well, allow your children to walk around the room and come back to the table, that type of thing. Um, there are churches that are making sensory rooms and these sensory rooms have specific lighting, specific seating. Um, they have, you know, things on the walls, some tactile, you know, things that children can touch and calm. They have bean bags and calming corners and things. And that's if, if your church is able to do that or has space. Um, but really in the, in the classrooms, it's that the teachers feel uh, aren't fearful of really the differences that they're seeing. You know, we had teachers that just didn't understand what was going on. And mm -hmm. our, our little friend was looked at as a behavior kid. He was looked at as throwing tantrums. You know, behavior tantrums are not the same as sensory meltdowns. Um, so would you, so okay, so can you expand on that a little bit? That's a great point. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah. sense to you. So, so break that down for us. So, What's the difference between a behavior issue and a sensory, what'd you call it, a meltdown? Sensory a meltdown, sensory meltdown. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and so this is big. So a behavior um, tantrum is something that with a reward, when you meet what the child wants or what the child's demanding or what the child's refusing, the behavior turns off. So the child refuses to sit at the table and do Play-Doh with the class and 
uh, throws the Play-Doh on the ground and rolls on the floor and stomps away and is loud. And you say, I will give you three Skittles if you come sit at the table and do Play-Doh with your friends. This is your job right now. So we'll, we'll use words like that. Child gets up, oh yay, I get my Skittles. And they come to the table. A sensory meltdown. So that's a behavior, that's a behavior. That's a behavior because the reward mm -hmm. stops the behavior. So that's an intentional uh, response. The child is intentionally misbehaving. Um, and so then a sensory meltdown is one that uh, you, nothing is consoling the child. So what we'd see is things like covering the ears, you might see humming or flapping, you might see children refusing to do something because they, they're so distracted, something is bothering them. You might have children running around the classroom, escaping the classroom, rolling on the floor, banging their head, self-injuring and saying, come, come, come to the table, I'm gonna get you your car. Come to the table, I'm gonna give you a Skittle. Nothing is working because the brain is actually in fight or flight. So the body needs um, help. It needs an external you know, stimulus to calm down. And so you might see uh, someone come around a child with autism and give a big hug or, you know, what's calming to us as people is if someone taps you on the shoulder, that's like really alerting. What, what, what? If someone comes around and gives you that, you know, nice, firm touch into your shoulders, almost like a massage, it's very calming to the body. And those are the messages that get sent to the brain to calm. And so um, this is what we were seeing is that nothing was working to intervene to help our little friend with um, these meltdowns. And so it's understanding the, the need for the body to calm down. So, so just as a general thing for our church family to be aware of, if I'm understanding you correctly, can I repeat some of this back? If we come across, especially a young child, and we're seeing what may look like behavior issues, if a reward and no other options seems to calm the child and they just seem inconsolable and we see this other distracting behavior that they're doing to themselves, that at least may be an indication that this is more than simply a behavior issue. There's something else going on. It, it can accurate? be. Yes, it can be. Um, children learn, you know, I don't mean this I, I don't want to make it too black and white. I was saying it's an indication that it may be something yes. beyond simply a behavior issue. Yes. And and some children, if you're seeing behavior, because we work closely with social workers in schools, you know, o, OTs and OTAs are about the whole person as a whole. So we work with emotional behavioral kids as well. And what you usually see there is a chart system like what you see in schools is you start on green during the day. And then if it's a light system, green, yellow, and red, and you're moved down to red, that's bad behavior, but it's a visual system. That helps with behavior um, is visually, you know, but in general, a sensory meltdown is not the same as a behavior meltdown. So um, you can see behavior that manipulates the situation. Kids learn manipulation very early. Most parents know this. It's like, who taught you that? Where'd you get that? Yeah. And so right. some, some can be just home life. 
but um, usually sensory meltdowns, it's a full body, you see the discomfort, you see the fright. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not something that is, um, it's not typical, you know, of, of children. So there's something more going on. Mm -hmm. Thank you for clarifying that a little more. I appreciate that. Uh, another, I'm trying to think, again, many of these questions are along the same question, uh, along the same lines, I should say. Another one asked, how hard is it to make these accommodations needed? So that way in a setting, let's say like your church family, you can allow for these children to be more involved and inclusive. Are, are we talking big, huge, radical wholesale changes to what we're doing or? No, no, OT Enlighten is very low tech, unless you go into assistive technology, which is all computer-based um, mm -hmm. accommodations. But no, these things are uh, like a visual schedule I made. I printed off pictures by visual, visual schedule. It would be things like, we're going to color right now. And you put a picture up of a child coloring and you'll show the child color. You don't have to use words, just point to the picture. Children learn best from real life examples. So then the next picture is reading. Let's go read our Bible and sit in a circle together. That type of thing. Let's pray a child with praying hands. All these things are just made with cardboard and, you know, photographs. Um, things like headphones, noise, noise canceling headphones could cost you 25 bucks on Amazon. Um, for room lighting, that's one of the bigger changes. Um, there are uh, covers that go over room lights or lights in a room. The fl fluorescent lights are very alerting. They're, they're overstimulating. Mm -hmm. I mean, to even, you know, typical people like you and I, our yeah. eyes hurt, we can get headaches. So you can get softening. Uh, they're actually curtains that hang that are metallic and can go over these lights and they're really pretty, they're soft colors. So soft colors are calming, you know, bright colors are aligning. So some Sunday schools are changing their whole paints, uh, root, uh, paint scheme in their rooms and they're using calmer colors. Um, other accommodations like heavy weights, which is very calming to the body. You might see uh, weighted blankets that are very popular right now. They help people with anxiety. Yeah, they also help I've, I've seen those. Autism. You can find those at like Walmart and Target now. They're yep. becoming a lot more common. Yeah. So there, there are um, there are weight uh, ratios. So a weighted blanket to a child's weight and a weighted blanket to an adult's weight is different. You you don't want to injure anybody because weight anything pulling on our muscles and our limbs can cause injury over time. So so mm -hmm. those type of things there are uh, recommendations for by age, but very low tech for most things. You're not describing huge, massive changes here. They're just little things that can be done to help accommodate. I think the biggest thing, um, the biggest thing I've noticed, which Denise Wynn and her husband do at, is it the rock? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. They, they have done, they have made a complete makeover to their worship services and they have these services that are the silent worship services where there's, uh, you know, dim lighting and, and these, the, these um, 
quiet worship services. So it's not loud noise. That's something that's huge because it affects then another department in a way that the church is doing things as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so because mm -hmm. our church didn't necessarily offer to really make a huge change right. like that for a young child, um, mm -hmm. we, we discussed about mom going to a separate room and having worship in there and trading off with her husband so they could each be in worship service. Right. Right. But the, in a classroom environment, say Sunday school, which is where the question originated, many of these things are, they sound pretty reasonable. They, they don't sound so overwhelming. Nope. Schools don't have budgets. So yeah. OTs have to be very <laughs> creative because they don't have money to invest in anything. Yeah. Um, I know, Anne, one other thing I was thinking about the questions, and I know you've mentioned in support of, uh, this is a simple thing that your church has done to support not only the child, but the parents as well, um, of the, the your little friend you're talking about is, you've mentioned, yes, Juliet wanted to wave to you. Um, you've mentioned that uh, there is an extra, so you have two teachers in your classroom, you know, just like our church does, there has to be two teachers in a classroom. They bring a third person as a support specifically for the, the child um, with special needs. And so that support person is in there so the teachers can continue doing what they need to do in the event that um, the child with special needs needs a little bit more attention. Say there's a meltdown starting to take place um, or something like that. But a lot of the times I think that third support person even has a quiet role because um, the child is doing okay, you know, in the classroom as things were accommodated for, you know, your little friend. So I think for our church and our people listening, what are things we can do if we don't have the education and the knowledge? Well, putting people, putting a third person in the classroom who has agreed with the family and the teachers you know, it's an agreement, um, they're asked to come in and be that third uh, set of hands and eyes in, in case they needed someone to work directly with the special needs child. So that gives peace to the parents. They can be in service knowing that the support is in the classroom. So I know your church did that, right? Or does Yes, that we did that for a while. And um, eventually the teachers felt comfortable with working with him. You know, church is such a short time in the entire week that, um, you know, it, it worked out where now we have two people, unless we go outside, there always has to be a third because of the escaping, the running. So yeah, it's, it has, uh, we've eliminated the third person because, you know, he's, he's doing very well with the teachers. Once the, once teachers, the teachers got more acclimated to what, yeah. what needed to be done. Huh? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Um, we had a question come in. It's a little bit different. We're not really talking about autism, but someone asked, do you feel that the ADHD label or diagnosis is is perhaps overused? As we talk um, about these kids who are hyper or that's probably a very broad question to try and it is work in an answer. I do think um the rates of ADHD have increased so much. And I forget the, the years that I were, I just took a, like a continuing ed class on it. Mm -hmm. 
and they've really grown here in the U.S., but a lot of, that contributes to ADHD can be, um, it can be, you know, worked with, it can be scaled back, like eliminated, um, <clears throat> not really cured because it is the way the brain works, but I don't think that it's overused. I think what we're seeing is that our children do not move enough. They do not engage their body and their brain enough. So the brain is, is highly affected and impacted. And that is one major contributor you see in other countries where there are some outdoor classrooms. There is um, more, uh, you know, recess is more of, um, it's more than 20 minutes twice a week. Rates of ADHD are far, far less, the diagnosis. So there are different factors that contribute to the diagnosis. Um, medication is not always the first response because you can, you can help your body and your brain to function better, more optimally. And that's what we do with students because in occupational therapy, we didn't see students and give them a pill and send them back to class. We were able to work with students um, that had ADHD. And a lot of the times you schedule things that are called movement breaks. And I literally would time students to walk through the hallway for two minutes, go, go run in the gym, get a scooter board and run, run up the stairs five times as fast as you can. I'll time you. It's, it's mm -hmm. movement. A lot of it is just our culture. It's the way it's being active. Huh? Yeah. So that's, that's a major factor to um, why we're seeing the rates jump. Thank you for sharing your opinion on that. We're coming to the top of the hour. And so as we do, is it okay? This is not going to surprise you at all, but mixed in with all of these, I also have several twin questions. So oh. can I totally take a left turn and and ask some twin questions? Would that be okay for those who, who don't know? So which one of you is older? Guess. No, I'm kidding. Don't oh, worry. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> don't, don't no, do Meg that. always says guess, and I always say me. Yeah. Okay, the well, there we go. Says, me <laughs> and 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 by how much Anne is see Anne is the old one and how much is she the old one by as many minutes no. as it took to pull me out yeah it was luck of the grab c-section she was L out luck first. of the grab oh okay so c-section so it really was luck of the grab yeah, yeah. So it's it's just by a matter of moments gotcha. maybe I wanted uh, to be second there's been an ongoing debate. I'm going to ask Anne because Meg, while talking to you, is also weighing in on the chat comments. <laughs> ongoing debate as as we all listen, fascinated, but we also, you'll see several times, people, well, you can't see, but people are just closing their eyes and they're listening. And if you're both talking, mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to hear the difference. And so, Anne, the question is, which one of you has a stronger accent if either of you, do you feel, has an accent? <laughs> Super oh. important questions here. Since living back in Wisconsin, since I lived in Colorado for 12 years, mm -hmm. my Wisconsin accent has just gotten worse and worse and worse. See, see, Meg is insisting on our chat feature that you have a Wisconsin accent. 
and that she doesn't. But I, I got to tell you, people weighing in on the chat, multiple is going, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't hear it very much. They still sound quite a bit alike. So that's true. As we're coming to, as we're coming to the top of the hour, I was trying to see if there were any other questions. Um, Meg, this is probably something you can deal with offline, but our executive assistant, Joyce Allen, wants to know if she can be a twin. I think that's probably a little late to work that in, but you can, you can talk to her about her, her remiss. You know, Joyce. She didn't get to win on that one. We've been, we've been reading a book to Juliet called It's Okay to Be Different, and it talks about <laughs> it's, okay to, it's okay to have invisible friends. So I'm just going to extend that to you as it is too late to enter back into your mother's womb, as the Bible would say. It's too late for that, but you can have an invisible twin. Go ahead. Have fun. Just, just run with it, Joyce. Yeah. We, we want you to know that that would be acceptable. Well, <laughs> and we've, we've come to the top of the hour. I didn't feed you that many questions because honestly, we got the same question in different formats over and over and over. So you, you have hit many questions just kind of hitting it at a high level. I want to thank you for coming on tonight. If nothing else, it's a delight to see the two of you together. But then in addition to that, this topic, just making people aware and making people conscious of that as a church family, you've given us much to think about. We greatly appreciate you coming on to our church family. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. I hope you were listening, not just staring, but listening and that you learned something and it's given you a chance to pause and think. And as we get closer and closer to reconvening our in-person services and going forward in the future, keep your eyes peeled, keep your eyes open. We may have opportunities to create this environment that's welcoming as we really do try to create an environment where it's all making disciples of all. And so to our church family, thank you for joining. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow night at 7 p.m. as we kick off a new week with a new theme. As always, you can visit our website at newarkupc.info. You can find all kinds of information on that website about joining small groups, prayer requests, baptism requests, and uh, any other information about what we're doing with our digital campus right now. Thank you for joining, and we hope that all of you folks have an excellent evening. Thanks, and Thank good night. You. Good night. Goodbye.